0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes listen safely can't wait
0: OTAs and minicamp in the books next stop Jets training camp Tim McMaster here along with the athletics Jets reporter Connor Hughes and our producer Marissa Morris this is the Can't Wait Podcast. Please subscribe, whether you're on YouTube or listening on Apple. Give us a review also. We love that. Lots to get to on this episode. Kind of put a bow on this entire summer of activity for the Jets. That means, of course, a lot of Zach Wilson talk. We'll talk about all the players who got to minicamp after missing the OTAs, the wide receiver core, all sorts of good stuff. Mikai Becton's weight, what he has to say about that. Plenty of stuff. Connor, as always, we start... With the quarterback, the number two pick, Zach Wilson. Um, we started by praising him in the OTAs. Then there was some bumps. Then he bounced back. Now you've had a couple of days of mini camp to watch him where things are amped up a little bit. Is it fair to say that the mini camp is kind of step two in the progression and maybe a small step two before the bigger leap to step three in training camp?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we talked to Mike LaFleur and, and what LaFleur said was that the Jets haven't held anything back with him and, and they really haven't. I mean, normally you kind of handle or deal with rookie quarterbacks, especially in these early portions with kitty gloves. You know, when when Sam Darnold was out here, or Christian Hackenberg or Geno Smith, I mean, very rarely does your rookie quarterback work with the first team offense. You know, you're kind of slowly but surely easing them into the fire and and you do that by... Starting them with the second or third team, you know, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of short throws, a lot of just easy vanilla type offensive things before you really start to ramp things up in training camp. Obviously, that wasn't the case with Wilson because from the first OTA to the last practice in minicamp, he was taking every single first team rep. The defense that he was going against was the first string Jets defense, and and the starting defense isn't taking it easy on him. The starting defense isn't running vanilla defensive plays; they're running the defensive playbook to get themselves ready because these are the defensive starters for week one and the Jets offense is doing what they need to do to get ready for week one so the Jets really did take a baptism by fire approach and I think in OTAs we saw a lot of really really good things we saw a lot of decisiveness with them I think minicamp was not as good as OTAs and the reason why I say it probably wasn't as good as OTAs is just because of the way that the Jets change their practice setup. And and obviously we've talked about this, you know, there's only so much that you can do with mini camp practices and with OTAs. And when you're a coach and train, I mean, there's only so many ways that practices change there. There really isn't any ways. I mean, Rex Ryan's practices look very similar to Todd Bowles' practices, which look very similar to Adam Gase's, which look very similar to Robert Sala's, where things change are some of the unique different individual drills, the different coaches might throw in there or, or some of the different situational work example being, the Jets, the last, uh, the last OTA, and, and then their two mini camp practices, they opened their team drills with a second and ten. And they asked their offense to get a first down starting with a second and ten. And once they got that first down, the offense came off the field and the defense went on. If they didn't get the first down, the offense came off the field and, or, and the second team offense went on. So that was a little different. I haven't seen that before. But aside from that, seven on sevens are the same. Eleven on elevens are the same. Driving the field is different or is the same. In OTAs, though, the team drills that the Jets did were all scripted. And what I mean by that is Mike LaFleur and Zach Wilson and the entire offense would be like, OK, here's our first set of team drills, our first period of, of team drills. We're going to run four plays. These are the four plays that we're going to run. We're going to run this halfback run. We're going to run this throw. We're going to run this pass. We're going to do this, but this, that, the other thing. The Jets would then go out on the field and they would do those things. Then, you know, the the next day they would give another set of four plays. They would do that. So they knew the offense did what they were going to run day in and day out. When minicamp came, that changed. The Jets started running an abundance of live drills. And what I mean by that is that Mike LaFleur would call the play into Zach Wilson's helmet, and then Zach Wilson would have to run that play and 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 against the defense and make changes and make audibles and make things of that nature. And, and I'm going to have to tell Ruben to go home. Hold it's like.
2: <laughs> live podcasting at its finest connor yeah, talking right. his Room, back.
0: Yeah. you can, see, it. You can oh, see the rumor too talk, talk
2: yeah it came, i don't know if plays. you guys can
1: hear it i do and it's like throwing me off because he keeps doing these passes and it comes it came behind me like two times mm-hmm. it's like i think the next one's coming into the office and sure enough you saw it in the corner it turned to dart in i was like i gotta tell that was boy, it a oh,
2: scripted pass like the- oh yeah.
1: well played. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah well played Nothing, yeah well played well played um <laughs> But yeah, so so I mean, that in minicamp, what changed for the Jets was that, was that they went from, these are the plays we're going to run to, no, now I'm going to call plays into your head, you're going to have to run that play against the defense, make your reads, make your progressions, all that things. And that's why I think you saw in minicamp a little bit of the, the decisiveness and the speed in which Zach Wilson practiced with an OTAs. It wasn't as quick, it wasn't as decisive. Uh, You saw him force a couple more throws. It still wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. It was still some pretty good practices. I thought Tuesday's was uh, especially good, definitely, or Wednesday's was especially good, was definitely better than Tuesday's practice, Wednesday was. But you saw it was a little bit of a step back, but not a crazy step back. It was just more was put on his plate, so he had to do more, so it was more of that learning curve acclimation period. Now it's about going home, studying the film, figuring out what you want to do better and showing up to training camp and realizing, okay, now the foot's going to be on the gas the entire time. Now we're really going to ramp things up and now you're going to see what what we've got to do. But from, from a rookie quarterback perspective, from a guy that, that is kind of practicing and playing against NFL competition and, and taking a pretty big step up from BYU, I thought it was a really productive, really good summer for Zach Wilson. I mean, the same thing that, I, that I've that i said is what I'll say again, is that he didn't ever really look like a rookie quarterback. He had practices that were really, really good where he looked absolutely dynamite. He had other practices which weren't as good, but they were never really bad. I don't think of any of the OTAs we were at, of the two minicamp practices that the media were at, there was never a practice where I looked at Zach Wilson and I was like, that was a bad day. You know, other, some days were better than others, that's going to happen, but there was never that bad day. The game never looked too big for him. He never looked out of place. He never had those silly little rookie hiccups that so many rookie quarterbacks I've seen have had before, whether it was Jake Heaps or whether it was Christian Hackenberg or Bryce Petty or, or Gino, when I saw him or any of these other guys, the jets have ushered in and out, he didn't have any of those rookie mishaps, those rookie mistakes where you're like, Oh, that was ugly. There was none of that. He was decisive at times. He was accurate. He displayed the arm strength. There was a lot of, uh, pitch repertoire that he went with where sometimes it was the fastball, the curveball, the changeup. He showed a bunch of different ability there. He moved the jets up and down the field on Wednesday when the jets did the drive, the field drill, it was very promising. And at the end of the day, this is just football and shorts. There's no contact and all that stuff. But what Zach Wilson did was a lot better than what Zach Wilson could have done if he had struggled. So the arrows pointing up the fact he did it all against the starting defense is definitely another feather in his cap. And, and I'm very excited to see what he looks like and what he does when training camp rolls around.
0: I thought a telling quote from Wilson. Uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or the, the first day of the camp, but he said, it's hard to say how you did, which made me think that this is a guy who, while he's playing well, isn't thinking that he's necessarily dominating. And he's going to probably means he's going to go back, look at tape, look at film and, and see what he did do wrong in these drills and, and what needs to be worked on and all of that stuff. It just seemed kind of like a humble little quote where he's, yeah. you know, a lot of guys would be asked that, how'd you do? And be like, I feel great. I'm the starting quarterback. He said, it's yeah. hard to say how you did, which means, you know, you know what it is hard? It's the NFL. Yeah.
1: And, and I look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like, I thought he looked better than Sam Darnold did. You know, Sam's rookie year, Sam was going up against the second and third team defense, and Sam was having those rookie mistakes, you know, where he would throw, you know, he'd make really impressive throws, he'd do really impressive things. And, but he would also have that dropped snap. He'd have the throw into triple coverage. He would have the plays where he held the ball too long and then the defense collapsed him. And then he would do good things. And, and you know what I always said when I analyzed Sam Darnold, and, and you can go back and read this because all of it's on The Athletic. I mean, I worked my first year at The Athletic was Sam's rookie year. So um, a lot of what I said is that Sam is different. Sam is unique. Sam is better than what I've experienced before, but what I always prefaced it with, or what I always followed it with was I've also never covered a franchise quarterback. You know, I've never seen Andrew Luck, his rookie year. I've never seen Tom Brady practice. I never saw Peyton Manning. I mean, the closest I came to seeing a franchise quarterback work was when I covered the giants Eli Manning's first year with Ben McAdoo. And that was the first year that Eli Manning had worked with an offensive coordinator. That wasn't Kevin Gilbride. I think he had somebody his first two years. Uh, I forget the guy's name, but the giants fired him and then replaced him with Kevin Gilbride. So for 10 or so years, Eli worked in the same offense. McAdoo came in. So Eli did not look good. The entire offense did not look good, but it was because they were learning a new offense for the very first time. And then I came over to the jets and I, I got hammered with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Gino Smith and Josh McCallan and Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg. So it was a very low bar for Sam to clear to look better than what I've seen before. So every time I said he looked different, every time I said he did things that I didn't see before, he looked better in this. I said, I was like, I don't know if that means that Sam's a franchise quarterback or does that mean that Sam is just simply better than the other guys, you know? And and Sam Darnold was the best quarterback that I've covered, but being better than Fitzpatrick, being better than McCallum, being better than Hackenberg and Petty and Gino that doesn't necessarily mean you're a franchise quarterback. And now you transition that to Zach Wilson. And I can tell you that Zach Wilson is doing things that is significantly better than Fitz and McCown and Petty and Hackenberg and all those guys and better than Sam Darnold. Now, again, that's a low bar to clear. I mean, Sam Darnold as a veteran quarterback lost by four touchdowns to the Jets' backup defense. I mean, the starters and backups scrimmaged each other in training camp last year, and the Jets' starters lost like 27 to nothing. So, like... Again, a very low bar to clear. So Zach Wilson, yeah, as a rookie, he's doing things. He's making throws that Sam Darnold never made. He's making decisions that Sam Darnold never made. He looks more advanced than Sam Darnold even did his final year with the Jets. And maybe that's because Sam was working with Gase and Sam didn't have the playmakers, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. We can go over this a million times. I know we already have probably a couple hundred thousand times we've gone over this. But I can tell you that that Zach looks more advanced and better than Sam Darnold did. Now, whether that means Zach is a franchise quarterback, I don't know. Does that just mean he's a little bit better than Sam? I don't know. Only time will tell. And honestly, the big thing is going to be the preseason when we get to see Zach Wilson against the Giants starting defense and the Packers starting defense and the Eagles starting defense. And then when we get to the regular season and he takes the field against Carolina, what does he look like then? I mean, that's when the real test is going to come. But what I keep saying, and, and I'll beat this one, you know, uh, I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll beat the horse till it's dead, is that Zach and what Zach did during the summer is a lot better than what Zach Wilson could have done because he could have come out and thrown three or four interceptions every practice and looked like Tua did a couple days with the Dolphins or looked like Sam Darnold did or Hackenberg did or just looked completely lost and the Jets could have been like, oh no, maybe we need to go get a Nick Foles because we need a starting quarterback for week one. That's not the case. Zach Wilson looks like he is ready to start week one. Where he goes from there, only time will tell.
0: You mentioned Nick Foles though and (laughs) whether or not he looks great, don't they need yeah. to get somebody in there? And, you know, it seems like they've talked about it. And there's just no hurry to get a veteran quarterback, which it just seems surprising to me, Connor. When when do you think, it, what is the timeline? Eventually it has to happen, right?
1: I, mean, I thought it would have happened already because I, oh, I see the benefit of having that rookie or having that veteran quarterback in the meetings with Zach and having him having lunch with Zach and having dinner with Zach and just being around Zach 24-7, a veteran who has been there and done that So that Zach can kind of see firsthand how a pro quarterback operates, how a pro quarterback prepares, how a pro quarterback gets himself ready, how a pro quarterback eats, how he trains, how he does all of these things. Get a guy in there who's been there, done that. And Nick Foles is the guy who's been there and done that at the highest of stages. He's been a starting quarterback for the Eagles, you know, not during the Super Bowl year, but before they moved on from him, I believe it was they got rid of Foles for Vic or I can't, or maybe it was, I forget when they decided to move on from Foles. Maybe it was like they got rid of Foles for Sam Bradford. I can't remember the exact timeline of it all, but um may, like like having a guy that's been a starting quarterback, having a guy that's then lost that starting quarterback job, but then come back and been a good backup for the Chiefs and then came back and was a good backup for the Eagles and then got a chance to play for the Eagles and led them to a Super Bowl. And it's a big reason why they won a Super Bowl. And Joe Douglas has a third Super Bowl ring on his hand. I mean, that, that's that's get a guy in there so he can see it and, and see how that guy prepares day in and day out to be a professional quarterback. And I thought it would have been beneficial for that guy to be here in OTAs. I thought it would have been beneficial for that guy to be here in minicamp. Obviously that didn't happen. It probably didn't happen because the guy wasn't there. The jets were in on Brian Hoyer. You know, they, that was a guy that they did want to sign for obvious reasons. And they wanted to sign him because he has experience working with Michael Flory has experience in a Shanahan offense. You know, he would have been a good signing, but Hoyer has, his family up in new England and he didn't want to come home. So when the Patriots offered him a job, he went back to the Patriots and it was just a better move for him. And even if the jets offered a little more money, it wasn't worth it to him at this stage in his career. So you go to the next best option Mullins. No, that wasn't where the jets wanted to go. He's not a guy who has been there, done that. So it's probably, the only guy that you really have left is Nick Foles. Now Nick Foles is obviously under contract with the Bears. He's due a 4 million dollar base salary this year and a 4 million dollar roster bonus. I got to go back and look to see when or if that's paid out or how that that structure works with that roster bonus. But the Jets obviously don't want to pay Nick Nick Foles 4 million, they don't want to pay him 8 million dollars certainly. So they might be waiting to see if the Bears just cut Foles and then the Jets pick him up or something like that. But In my opinion, it's not just about having a backup in here for week one. It's also about just having a backup in here to. It's about having a backup in here that is a veteran who, like I said, has been here, been there and done that just so Zach can learn by watching and just see someone else to bounce ideas off of because he's not going to get anything from bouncing ideas off of Mike White. He's not going to get anything bouncing ideas off of James Morgan. Those two guys are learning as much as Zach Wilson is. And I know the Jets have Greg Knapp, who's been around forever, and and they've got Michael as the offensive guru, and all these things, and they got some veterans on the offense. But, like, I still see a legitimate benefit to being or having a guy who, like I said, has been there and performed at the highest stages. And, you know, what's funny is we got a chance to talk to Greg Knapp this week, and and he made a comment about how, you know, there's no – there's no replacement for game reps is what he said is that there's, there's no way that you can make up game reps. Game reps are basically the most important and Costello fired up with a quick follow follow-up and he goes, uh, well, Greg, you realize that you have no one with game reps on the roster right now. So, the players coming, the issue is that I don't think the players in free agency and the Jones don't really want to trade for Foles because they're going to have to you know, eat up his contract. So we'll see what happens, but I'm with you, Tim. I, I think that there's there's a need to get a veteran in here sooner rather than later because it's only going to help Zach. It's not going to hurt him any.
0: Yeah, Foles already got the $4 million roster bonus. $5 million is his guaranteed money. So that's what the Jets would be yep. uh, would be picking up. All right, so... Minicamp, the difference, the big difference, one of the differences between Minicamp and the OTAs is it is not optional. You're supposed to be there. And for the Jets, everybody was. That means Jamison Crowder with his, I won't say shiny new contract, Connor, because it's kind of probably a, kind of rusted and uh, (laughs) faded, faded new contract. Uh, But Marcus May there as well. Um, You know, the game was all there. Crowder seemed to be in good spirits though, right? Despite obviously needing to take a pay cut. Um, But taking a pay cut is better
1: than being cut. Yeah. And I I think Tim, that's honestly what it came down to was, Look, I mean James like James and Crowder didn't have to take the pay cut. He he could have he could have played hardball. He could have said to Joe Douglas, "Look, I'm not doing this. You gave me this contract. I want to honor the contract I gave you the first 2 years and and now we're in year 3 and I want to get paid it. And then the Jets probably if he did not agree to take that pay cut, <clears throat> Crowder would have <coughs> excuse me. Crowder would have been cut and what I think he realized and what his agent realized is that if Crowder was let go and if Crowder was in the open market and Crowder w- did have to go find a new team, he wasn't going to get anywhere near the $10 million that he was supposed to be paid. You know, I, I when, when Crowder signed this deal and when the Jets gave Crowder this deal, they never really expected him to reach the final year. They figured they would either extend him or cut him going into this, this season. And Crowder obviously played pretty well the first two years of the deal. He's not a great receiver, but he's a good one. So he's here on year three. The Jets want to make sure that they don't have a repeat of the Indianapolis Colts situation from a couple or from last year where they had basically no one on the field at receiver. So they wanted him back, but they did want to get him back at a price that was a little bit easier for them to swallow. And and I'm still waiting to get the official numbers. I should actually text my guy again. I checked in with him yesterday and it wasn't officially in the NFLPA database. So I got to, I got to do that homework again and I'll write it down to do it later. But the, uh, My assumption is that he probably took a 50% pay cut. He went from 10 million to he's probably now getting four or five million this year. And and I think the reason why he accepted it is that he realizes that at this point he would have had to have gone to a new team, learned the new coach, learned the new system, moved his family, moved somewhere else, and that would have been annoying. And then also he probably wasn't gonna be getting four or five million dollars from another team. Anyone else probably would have only given him two or $3 million and that's offset language. That's going to be offset in the jets, the jets deal that they would have given him. So I'm sure that he was reluctant somewhat in accepting the pay cut. I know he didn't want to accept the pay cut, but like he said, the NFL a bit is a business and this is a business. And he knew that if he didn't take the pay cut, he was going to get cut. So this is a way for him to stay with a team that he's known for the last two years, stay in an area, get in a offense. That's going to be receiver friendly and an offense that fits his skill set and, and go out there and, and try to make some plays and, the one benefit to Crowder is that the guy's only 28 years old. So he's going to be entering free agency after this year, still under 30. And if he's able to have a good season here with the jets, if he's able to go out and and have a, uh, an 800, 900 yard season, which I think would be really good considering how robust the jets receiving Corey is now with Corey Davis and Keelan Cole and Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims. I mean, there's going to be a lot of mouths to feed. So Crowder is not going to see the number of targets that he had seen the last couple of years. Um, If he can go out there with an 800, 900 yard season, it might give him a chance to cash in next year with another three year, 30 million, three year, 27 million dollar contract because he is still young and he is still valuable and he plays a position of need that a lot of that a lot of teams could use. So um, I I think that it was a tough one for him to do, but it was one that he realized at the end of the day he had to take because he didn't just want to start over with another team.
0: All right, let's talk about the receiving core as a whole, because while Crowder was there, Crowder was not participating in any of the team drills. Um, they're going to ease him into that, which is something that Robert Sala has done. He did it uh, in OTAs as well for guys that came in later. Um, but the receivers that were there, when you look at the depth chart, it's certainly interesting. And we talked about it a little bit, I think, last week, but I wanted to get more into it because now you're in minicamp and there's there's kind of more to take from. But Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore, Look to be the number ones. And then you have Denzel Mims, who was the big you know, draft pick a year ago, flashed during his rookie year for sure. He wasn't like a consistent great player or anything for this Jets team, but he showed the signs. But we've talked about it, Connor. He may be not a great fit for this offense. So what does this all mean for Mims as you head closer to the season? Is this going to be something where his playing time is really limited and then his time with the Jets ends up being shortened? Or is this a guy who can kind of play his way into favor.
1: Yeah. So Denzel basically got some pretty bad food poisoning. Um and and had like a really bad stomach you know up. something about that. Yeah, yeah much like I did about, yesterday. Were
2: you out to dinner together?
1: Pre made that joke to me. Like made <laughs> that joke too because I was on my ass yesterday. It was like I was at practice And like as I'm there, like I'm standing on the sideline, I'm like, man, I feel nauseous. I was like, but I figured it was just because I didn't have breakfast. Like I had like a light oatmeal for breakfast. I was like, maybe that's a problem. And I also didn't drink coffee. So I was like, oh, you didn't bring a water bottle, you didn't have your coffee. That's why you're nauseous. Get back to my cubicle after practice, have some water, feel a little bit better. But I'm like, still like something's wrong. Like I like, I'm I know when I'm off and I'm very rarely off. I'm like, I'm I'm a little off. Drive home, and I I swear I got home at like five, five twenty, maybe, or five five o'clock. And I like walked in and it was like. I was in bad shape basically from like five 30 until 1130 at night. It was in and out of that bathroom. And it was, just, it was, it was brutal. It, it was, it was miserable. And I felt so, cause Brie and I, we'll talk about this later. Brie and I were supposed to have our meeting with the DJ to like go over music yeah. for the wedding, stuff like that. And I was like, I had to come home and write still. So I was literally writing paragraphs for the yesterday's minicamp report, which is probably the worst one I've written. I know it wasn't good, but I was like, writing a graph running back into the bathroom coming back writing another graph trying to file before 6 p.m and i finally contacted my editor I was like look this ain't coming by six i like e- i'm going through food poisoning right now it's really bad breeze like knocking on the bathroom door like are we going to be able to make the the, the rehears- are we going to be able to make the meeting an hour away i was like you're going to have to set this up virtually or go by yourself because there's no way in hell i'm going to be able to like make an hour car ride without you pulling over six times it was uh, and i have no idea what i ate I literally have no clue what I ate because Brie ate the same things I did and she was perfectly fine. So this just a random freaking bug. Um, but yeah, so Denzel has been dealing with food. Po- like he, he basically got, he ate bad food and got like really messed up and got a really bad like stomach intestinal thing that caused him to be really sick for like that full week OTAs. Even when he came back, he still wasn't right. So he dropped like, he dropped weight. He got, it wasn't, it wasn't good. So that kind of put him behind, excuse me, that kind of put him behind the playbook a little bit. But even taking that out of the equation, like like some of Denzel's struggles, like some of the drops that he's had in practice likely attributed to that. Some of his like sluggish nature attributed to like the fact that he just hasn't really been himself this offseason because he's been dealing with his illness, it still doesn't change who the Jets starting receivers are, you know, because their guys from the jump have been Corey Davis and Keelan Cole outside and Elijah Moore has been working with the ones as a slot wideout. but I can't comment on like if he's been with the ones and Braxton's been running with the ones because Jamison Crowder wasn't at OTAs. And then during mini camp, he had the acclimation period. So Jamison didn't do any teamwork. So I think it probably would have been Keelan Cole, Corey Davis on the outside, as there are two outside guys. Jameson Crowder in the slot, and then Elijah Moore working in as the number four guy, and then probably spelling Crowder at times, like those guys splitting some reps and then also seeing the field together at the same time. Um, and then Braxton Berrios rotating in as well, and then Denzel coming coming in. But like the thing that we've said, and I know the thing that I, I've kind of said over and over again is, is and I wrote this today, is that I, I know that like Jet fans when they hear that Keelan Cole is working ahead of of uh of Mims they get like a little up in arms and they get like a little angry and they get like a little frustrated and they get like you know what the hell and I get that because Mims is the second round pick he's the guy that the Jets invested a draft pick in so they want to see him on the field and Keelan Cole was like the second day second tier free agent but (laughs) I like I like that comment I can't I'm I'm still I'm still like 50 percent here like I'm not I'm not all myself right now we, we like have it.
2: a comment from somebody on YouTube that says, hello from Ireland, 1230 AM here, but a week for this podcast and Connor's food poisoning story. So oh, for our audio you. listeners, Connor just points to the screen, but I'm helping all you guys that are listening <laughs> on Apple. Oh, That's true. Podcast. I was about to say, you I was like, I see gap. it,
1: Marissa. What are you talking about? Like, I see it's right there. <laughs> we
2: got lots of other listeners, Connor. You have to describe the scene.
1: Yeah, okay, continue. It's scene. like you're doing radio play-by-play. Not Yeah, to,
2: but we all know I Connor can't that. handle the radio. It's <laughs> 7.32 p.m. I haven't hosted.
1: A while. I should get you guys my old demo from when I had to do that when I had to do a radio show on an EDM radio station. It's Z889. The Pulse set Sa- when I had to bring like the intensity and do like the radio voice on. It's guys fucking miserable. Okay. Uh, I, that's why I rule at the wedding. is just no EDM. It's strictly because of that. Um, but yeah, so like I know that like Denzel Mims gets like the everyone wants to see him on the field and Keelan Cole's that second tier, you know, kind of second option free agent that people like Oh, kind of whatever. But Cole is a better scheme fit than Mims is. And what I mean by that is like this offense, I've said it before, this offense wants guys that are yak guys. They want guys that are fast guys, that are precise route runners, guys that are going to get the, get, make the catch and then get up the field. And that's what Keelan Cole does really well. And I remember making calls after the Jets signed him and hearing from multiple league executives and multiple sources that, that said like the Jets got a good one in this guy. Like they got a really good player in Keelan Cole and he's not, number one receiver, but he can be a pretty good number two. And if he's your number three or number four option in offense, you're in really, really good shape. And for the Jets, if Elijah Moore develops and Jamison Crowder's out there, Keelan Cole, even if he's your outside receiver, he is the number three option for your offense, which is a really, really good thing. You know, he's somebody that we talked We were talking about this with Michael Dunn, where it was like because he played with him in Jacksonville, where it's a guy that is electric fast. If the ball's in the air, he's going to come down with it. Incredible hands, great after the catch, and a precise route runner. Denzel Mims isn't really those things you know Denzel is a big bodied big catch radius physical player you know he's somebody that you're going to send deep you're going to throw the 50 50 ball up there and he's probably going to come down with it but Denzel is not going to make his catches he's not going to create his separation with his route running That's just not the type of player that he is he's very linear. And he's not really a fit in this scheme. He was a fit in Adam Gase's offense where Adam wanted guys that were going to stretch the field, go deep, run linear patterns, you know, deep posts, go routes, things like that. This offense wants the drags and the ends and the quick ends and get the ball and then run. And and that's not really Denzel. And that doesn't mean that Denzel is going to be cut. That doesn't mean that the Jets aren't going to use Denzel. That doesn't mean he's not going to have a role, but this preconceived notion that I and so many people had that the Jets starting three receivers are, Court, you know, are Corey Davis and Denzel Mims and Jamison Crowder. It just doesn't really look like that right now. It looks like it is Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore, and Jamison Crowder. That that's going to be their guys. And then they're going to have Denzel Mims check in and Denzel Mims do things that are to Denzel Mims' strengths. And what I mean by that is that the Jets ran a series of red zone drills on Tuesday. Uh, on Wednesday, I'm sorry. I think it was Wednesday. The day is all mixed together. But they ran a series of red zone drills on Wednesday and Denzel Mims checked in for the red zone. The Jets then ran a fade route to him and Denzel Mims outbodied, I believe it was Isaiah Dunn and caught like the fade route touchdown in the red zone. That's a play that Denzel Mims runs better than Keelan Cole would because Denzel Mims is 6'3 and 2-something and Keelan Cole's 6'1, 190. He's a physical guy that's going to out physical defenders. So the Jets are going to use him to run routes to his strength. But this like... Notion that he's going to be the starter. No, it's going to be Keelan Cole. And honestly, like, don't sleep on Keelan Cole. He's a very good receiver. Like I said, I was was told this by people outside of the Jets organization that were making runs at him as well to try to sign them to their teams. They spoke very highly of him. And I talked to somebody in the Jets organization who said, I've been trying to get this guy for two years. Like we've been trying to trade for him for two years and we just haven't been able to pry him from Jacksonville. So the Jets finally were able to get him. They assigned him as opposed to trading for him. And now you're going to probably see why. Why you know the Jets liked this guy. Why the Jets wanted this guy. Why the Jets wanted him in their organization. And why the Jets are going to have him on the field a lot. Now, the one thing that I will stress here is that the Jets receiving core, all these problems we're talking about with like, oh, is, is Moore going to work ahead of Crowder? Is Crowder going to work ahead of Moore? When's Denzel Mims going to see the field? This is a good problem to have because the Jets – At points last year, we're trotting out guys that had no business being on a 53-man roster. Now you have Corey Davis and Cole and Moore and Mims and Braxton Berrios who can do things. And not only that, but don't forget about Jeff Smith, who didn't practice this summer because of an injury. He's a guy that is tailor-made as a yak receiver, yards after the Cats yak guy. He is tailor-made for this offense, showed some flashes and promise in training camp last year, did a little bit of good things in the regular season. I think he could really blossom in training camp steal a spot on the 53-man roster and fight for playing time in the regular season. There's a lot of good things to like about him as well. So this Jets receiving core might not have Julio Jones, might not have Odo Beckham, might not have the guy that's like the, the bona fide, no doubt, top-tier X receiver, you know, your go-to number one. But what they do is they have basically four, five, six guys that can all play and play pretty well. And and that's a, a serious step in the right direction and will only make uh, Zach Wilson's life easier.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? It's all right. So Mikai Beckton, and then we'll get to, to Morgan Moses as well. But as far as Beckton goes, um, the surprise was that he actually talked about the weight. I, I would have expected him not to go there, but he said he's got a personal chef, which is, I mean, to me, is the dream. Like, if I ever became really wealthy, the first thing I would do with the wealth would be get get a personal chef. You're not, and you're never not confident to, on this can't women's. wait merch taken off. It would be <laughs> It would be it would be the thing but anyway uh, Makai Becton has his personal chef he says he's eating tons of fish and veggies so what's going wrong Connor and he also said all oh, right and I wanted I to get to the other thing too which is the lie when he said I don't know what I weigh there's oh, no yeah. chance that no. the Jets weigh
1: every <laughs> day <Yeah. laughs> the
0: Jets are like oh yeah you know what get on the scale Mika yeah, no we're not gonna tell you we're not gonna tell you no, what you're they at. know that he guy knows to the, the to the ounce day. To the yes. ounce, how much he weighs. So, yeah. in your opinion, does he weigh too much
1: though? Well, I mean, he looks huge, but like he's a big man. So, he's going to look huge. I mean, my, my, here's my thing with like Makai is, and, and what I, I, I literally, like, I'm not kidding. You. Like, I I wrote this as well. I can't remember if it was today or yesterday. Like, I'm, I'm still delirious from like the hours that I spent praying to the porcelain god yesterday. So, it's like, it's really rough. But the, um, I wrote like, like Makai said, like, my weight's not an issue. He said he's got it under control. He said, you know, he's he knows what he was doing wrong, and now he's got it corrected, and and you know it's not going to be a concern. But like he said the same stuff when the Jets drafted him, and he said the same stuff during training camp last year, and he said the same stuff during the regular season, and after the season ended, and and now he's saying it same there. So like, like bel- saying isn't believing. Like he, I like seeing is believing. Like you got to see it now, but. This is a guy who, and Costello was the one who dug up this stat, but he played less snaps last year than Sam Darnold. You know, he still he started all but like two games, but he played less snaps than Sam Darnold because all of these games that he entered and then would leave for like a quarter or two quarters of the rest of the game because the shoulder was an issue, or the one time the Jets thought he was having like a heart attack because he couldn't breathe. I mean, these are issues that, in large part, are brought on by conditioning and size and weight. I mean, so I know the Jet he won't give the number that the Jets want to be on. Or they want him to be at like the Jets, not with Gase, not with with Sala. They have never said what they want Makai to weigh. And Makai, aside from, I think in training camp last year he said he was three seventy or something like that. He has never said his weight again after that one time that he said his weight, and it's probably because he just doesn't want to put a number out there. or If he's above what he wants, like they just have never said the number. But the fact is, is that we're not going to know if Makai in the right shape, but we're not going to know if is at the right number. We're not going to know if what all of these things, the personal chef and the fact he's doing ab workouts now may sounds like what I try to tell Brie. like, yeah, I'm walking and doing abs more. Like, yeah, I'm, I am taking the conditioning. I'm just doing more walking and abs. Like, it's like, we're not going to know if any of this stuff is paying off until training camp comes and Makai is out there every single training camp practice and every single team drill, never leaving early. We're not going to know until the regular season comes. And Makai is out there in the regular season playing every single snap of these regular season games. We're not going to know anything until we get to the point. So Makai can say he's got this in under track, un, un, under control. He can say he's got this in line. He can say all of these things and it sounds wonderful. You know, he's eating fish and veggies. Great. You know, that, that's cool. I'm I'm glad you're doing those things, but with him after a year of saying, 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 and and literally nothing changing, the words mean nothing. They're hollow. They really are. Like, you got to see it now to believe it. You got to see him being in the shape the Jets want to. You have to see him on the field for every training camp practice. You got to see him on the field for every snap of every regular season game because this Jets offensive line right now with their starting five, they've got a chance to be pretty decent. I mean, the, the, the left guard situation, Elijah Vera Tucker, Connor McGovern, Greg Van Roten, George Fon, And then if they add Morgan Moses, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, that front five with makai Becton, especially if they have Morgan Moses, that's got a chance to be legitimately pretty good. I mean, without Morgan Moses, I think they can be decent with Morgan Moses. I think it can be a pretty good offensive line. Like, like they're at the point now where those front five collectively with this scheme and this offensive approach, they got a chance to be pretty good. But if Becton goes down, it's a very different look. It's a very different outlook because suddenly you got Connor McGovern or Connor, McDerm- Connor McDermott, I'm sorry, playing left tackle. That's an issue. I mean, there was a play in OTAs on Tuesday when uh, Carl Lawson beat him like a drum. I mean, Carl Lawson flew off the field, dipped underneath him, got into the backfield to sacked Well, Zach Wilson, like half a second and yeah, hat tip to Carl Lawson, but it also was a sign that like Connor McDermott cannot be your starting left tackle. So the jets front, Only looks good if all five of those starters are on the field. And if they sign Morgan Moses, maybe they can deal with one injury or two because then you can have Fant go to left tackle or Moses go to left tackle and Fant go to right, something like that. But there are a lot of the Jets' hopes on the offensive line and a lot of the Jets' successes this year and a lot of the Jets keeping everything upright and all. A lot of it is determined and predicated on Number 77, staying healthy. And he's got to stay healthy by being in shape. And right now, he says he is, and he's trending in the right direction. Sure, I'm sure it sounds all good, but i got to see it to believe it because I've been hearing this now for a full year. Literally, from the day the Jets drafted him, we've been hearing about his weight. And somehow, after a year, it's not in check. And some guys never get it in check. Some guys eventually figure it out. And you hope that then obviously, for for the sake of him and also the Jets, has.
0: So, if Beck if they sign Moses, um, which seems like it's heading in the right direction, at least by all re- all reports... They sign him and then Becton goes down for an extended period of time. Does Moses go to left tackle? Does Tucker move over to left tackle and Moses stay on the right? How do you think they would handle that situation that we're kind of afraid of, basically?
1: Yeah, no, I, so I think that no, your your interior line stays the same. So right guard's gonna be Van Roten, the center's gonna be Governor, left guard's gonna be Vera Tucker. That that's not gonna change. Like I that's not gonna change. Where what adding Moses does is it now gives you three capable starting offensive linemen like it gives or three capable starting offensive tackles because you now have George Fant who can play left tackle or right tackle you have Morgan Moses who is predominantly a right tackle but can play left tackle as well and you have Becton who can play left tackle so what I'm fascinated to see is if the Jets sign Morgan Moses what happens with George Fant because the Jets like him a lot you know the the Jets do and When they added him, one of the reasons why Fant signed with the Jets over other teams is the Jets told him, you're going to play one position, one position only. So this is a guy who didn't really play college football. You know, he didn't. He was a basketball player. And then he decided to give football a shot because he realized he wasn't going to the NBA. And so he started converting. And then he went to the Seahawks. And he was very much a developmental project. The Seahawks believed him to be their left tackle. And he was going to be the blindside protector for Russell Wilson. But then he had suffered an injury in his second year and they went out and they traded for Dwayne Brown. And after they traded for Dwayne Brown, suddenly after they traded for Dwayne Brown, suddenly Fant was moving around. So he was playing left tackle. He was playing right tackle. He was playing tight end. He was moving all over the place. So he was a developmental player that had never played football. That was now having to learn three different positions with the Seahawks, three or four different positions with the Seahawks. So when he signed with the jets, the jets were like, Hey, you're just going to be an offensive tackle for us. Left tackle, unless we draft a left tackle, then you're going to be a right tackle. So this was the first time last year that Fant was able to just focus on one position, and that was like his focus. And the contract that the Jets gave him did have an out after this year because they could have cut him after the season before the fifth day of the league year and basically cut him for free and owed him like $3 million. Now his $8 million base salary is completely guaranteed. It became completely guaranteed on the third or fifth day of the league year. So... If the Jets sign Morgan Moses, I'm fascinated to see what they do with Fant because you're not signing Moses to a multi-year deal and not starting him. So as soon as you get Moses, Moses is your starting tackle. And with Beckton's healthy, Moses is your starting right tackle. Beckton's going to be your left tackle. So what do you then do with Fant? Because I can't imagine knowing the Jets and knowing Joe Douglas that they're going to be okay paying $8 million to George Fant to not play. You know, to to pay George Fant $8 million for him to be a swing tackle or a guy that checks in in jumbo packages. I mean, this was a Jets team that knows Jamison Crowder is going to see the field a lot, even with Elijah Moore playing well. Jamison Crowder is going to see the field a ton. Jamison Crowder is a guy who's been your best receiver the last two years. The Jets were paying him $10 million, and they didn't need the extra money, and they still went to him and said, yeah, we don't want to pay you $10 million. You're going to have to take a pay cut. Knowing that, I can't imagine – that they're just going to be like, okay, Fant, you're now going to ride the bench and we're still going to pay you $8 million to do so. I, I just can't fathom that the Jets are going to do it. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them try to find a place for him on that starting line. Fant's an athlete. Obviously, you saw him play tight end. He was a basketball player in college. Maybe he can move inside the right guard. But now you're asking him to learn a brand new position starting in training camp. So that's kind of an issue. He'd probably be an upgrade over Fant, but I don't know. So, uh. Getting Moses would be an absolute upgrade. The, it, it would, the, the combination of Becton, Vera Tucker, McGovern, um, Van Roten, and Moses would be the best front five the Jets have had probably since I've been on the beat since 2014. I mean, it would be the best front five that they've had in a good long while. But there's just something about knowing what Fant's making and knowing the contract that Fant has that makes me think that they're going to find a role for him to play significantly because i just can't imagine knowing joe douglas that he's comfortable giving Fant eight million dollars to literally play like 15 snaps a game i just can't see that
0: makes a lot of sense all right one more thing i wanted to talk about is the cornerback position because we've gone over and over again that eventually they're going to bring in a veteran cornerback and now it sounds like while they will eventually bring in a veteran quarterback they're not necessarily going to bring in any more depth at the cornerback position Connor, do you think that has been the plan all along? Or do you think they've been so impressed with Bryce Halls of the world, these young guys that they have, that they've kind of swung that direction that now that they think they have enough? Or do you think this was always just like, yeah, we don't need that veteran?
1: I don't know. I I don't see the Jets. The Jets knew they needed a corner. The Jets knew they needed, needed help at that position. They were just not in a position in free agency this year where they wanted to get involved in that corner market. I mean, you saw the ridiculous contract that Griffin got, right, from the Jaguars. You saw the ridiculous contract that the Giants gave at Dory Jackson. Griffin and Jackson are good players. They're solid players. They're okay players. Those guys got $39.5 and $40 million. Like Like, that is just ridiculous money. And if you know anything about Joe Douglas from his two years – Uh, two years running free agencies for the Jets is that he's not going to pay a player more than what he believes they're worth. So would he have liked to have had Jackson? Yeah. Would he have liked to have had Griffin? Yeah. But he would have liked to have had them at 25, 30 million, not $40 million. And so he wasn't heavily involved in their sweepstakes because he realized that they were going to get contracts and they were going to get deals that he just wasn't willing to go to. And There was no one else in free agency that he saw because the corner market, well, there were good players at certain positions in free agency. The corner market was dry. There really weren't any A or B free agents. There were a bunch of C guys that were going to get B and A money, and that was not a market that Joe Douglas wanted to dabble in. So I think they would have gone after and targeted Richard Sherman if Richard Sherman was in a place where he wanted to play for the Jets, but he wants to stay on the West Coast and wants to go play for a team that's going to compete for a championship. So he got ruled out. Nelson's like the other guy that they could target, but he's kind of just a guy and and just a veteran. He's not really gonna be that great and 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 there's a reason why a lot of good teams have passed on signing him and why a lot of good teams have have cut him in some extent so or chose not to be involved with him at all. So I think that i i I think that it's almost like in the jets opinion, there really isn't a great other option for them. so they have. Bryce Hall and, and Bless Austin. They've got Pinnock who they're working in there. They've got they've got Eccles who they're working in there. They've got Michael Carter who they've working in there. They've got guys like Javelin Gidry. You know, they've got players. I think they've realized that like we might as well roll and give these guys an opportunity to play. We saw enough in 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 OTAs and minicamp to not be petrified and not be like really, really panicking. But we're also still in a position here where what else can we do? You know, the way that the draft board fell, there were players that the Jets chose to draft instead of corners that they liked a lot more. Free agency was just a market that the Jets weren't going to get involved in. So what they chose to do is what they did. They're going to roll with who they have for better or worse, and they're going to see where it takes them. Now, that's a risk. That's a gamble. It's a risk and a gamble that I personally wouldn't take myself, but that's what that what Robert Sala is going to do. And, and the last thing I'll say on this is just that this defense with the two, the two high safeties – it does alleviate some pressure from the corner position because they're going to have help over top, but that also adds a lot of pressure to your front five. So the Jets are going to need Carl Lawson to be good as advertised. They're going to need Quinton Williams to be as good as advertised. They're going to need Sheldon Rankins to be healthy and John Frank Maris and Jabari Inga and Bryce Huff. They're going to need all of these guys to really take that next step and really get the pressure and create pressure on the quarterback with just rushing those front four or five, be able to get home with just those front four or five. So they can drop their linebackers and corners and safeties into coverage because if the jets have to start blitzing that means they're leaving these corners on an island and i just don't see how that's beneficial to to anyone so it's going to be predicated on both these corners being what the jets hope they are but also on this off this defensive line getting home because if if one of those two things doesn't happen jets are going to be in some trouble
0: Yeah, definitely a scary situation for the defense. And the one thing you kind of worry about, I think, heading into the season with this defense is that situation. All right. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. That's going to do it. And we're actually going to take a little bit of a break. We've talked about it. Connor is getting married, going and getting yeah. married. Congratulations. And there it is. Oh, nice pictures. The pictures. Yeah. You were there oh, yeah. for those. Connor and <laughs> Bree. <laughs> well, no, the
1: truth. I could. Truth about those engagement photos is I had a tea time at Beth Page Black that I had to cancel because <laughs> I had to go get those engagement photos. So you're
0: sucking oh. all the romance out of this moment. But. Yeah,
1: Brie looks beautiful though, so I'll give her, I'll give her that one. She
0: does. So yeah. we we're gonna be away because first you're getting married, then of course going out on the honeymoon. But we'll be back in time for uh, training camp. Actually, before training camp because we'll be back the middle of the month. Um, but just wanted to throw that one up there, Connor, and congratulate you ahead of time and let everybody know that you are officially off the market very soon.
1: I am. I am. I'm very excited. I know I've got like the, all the wedding rings here. Like I've got the, uh, the rubber ones, the silicone ones, because I already know I'm going to hate wearing the metal one. That thing's heavy and hard. So I've got the silicone ones. I'm going to like a lot more, but we are, it's the home stretch right now, man. We've got like, we're eight days away. Yeah. Yeah. Thursday. It's we're Thursday now. So we're eight days away. We're going to marry June 25th. So I know Bree, like Bree's out right now doing a million wedding things. I did a million wedding things before the podcast. I had to go get the suit fitted. Like what's weird though, is you don't realize all the little shit you've got to do like this last week, whether it's like the seating charts and the meeting with the DJ and breeze, like making sure candles fit in vases. I mean, it's wild, but uh, it's going to be fun. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Like I, everyone like at work has been talking about it. And, and, you know, cause I've got a bunch of guys from the beat that are coming and, and all that. So you guys obviously are coming as well. And I know like everyone's been talking to me about it. The thing I keep saying to everyone is like, I don't want to say like, I just want it to be over with because I don't want, I want, (laughs) what I mean is like, I just want the wedding to be here. Like I'm so tired of all like the little like I's to dot and T's to cross. I'm so over all of that. I just want the wedding to be here and to be getting married. And then I want the wedding to last forever and then the honeymoon and all that stuff. So it's, it's, it's just a matter of it has to get here though, because these, the last week or so has been just a drag trying to make sure that all this is taken care of. Cause you don't, I said, you don't realize all the little, and I'm a guy. So like, I'm, I'm not even I'm involved in like 20% of the stuff that Brie is. So it's, it's really not even too much. I'm just like there to look cute and say yes and no. And then she's like handling the rest of it. So it's, it's just say, yes like and say no. oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I realize that when I say no, I'm starting to get into an argument about opinions that I don't really have. Like, what do you think, of, what's better a or B? And I'm, I'm guessing on which one is in her head. Cause I'm like, I really don't care, but you can't say that. Cause that's obviously a bad thing to say.
0: That's good practice for yeah. the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Well, this wedding is not the only exciting can't wait news we have f- to share with everybody today. First, a wedding and then a baby. Uh, <laughs> 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 baby McMaster arriving October 2021.
0: Nice. Yes, Tim, and
2: congratulations. A- Father's Day is coming up this weekend. So everybody wish your dad's happy Father's Day and Tim's first Father's Day. The, well, po- the puppy the being involved
1: guys. in the announcement is huge. That is that is a plus yeah. work. Look at that, man. The can't wait, the can't wait podcast is really doing something here. We've got We're all yeah, about we've big got babies, life moments. We got here, yeah. We've got engagements, we've gotten everything. It's interesting. is getting
0: married next year. Yeah. Yeah, but rolling. you
2: guys, you guys are the, the stars of the show today, for sure. Um, Thanks, very thank excited you for for the show after very excited for Tim and Mandy, very excited for Connor. Little and baby Bree. bonnet
1: gonna be in the back now. You're gonna have your two hats and baby bonnets. <laughs> there's actually yeah, a crib, a crib, actually crib, back, a crib. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah,
2: there's actually That's right, a crib. Yeah. any of when our t- attentive um, viewers. If you like, look in the corner of Tim's screen that he he did his daddy duty of building the crib.
0: Yeah. So,
2: what's next?
1: When Tim, when uh, Tim build more you stuff. It, you know
0: what? The good thing about like being a long time at this point New Yorker is that you get really good at building furniture. So I, <laughs> the crib was. Piece of cake, no problem. <laughs> but no, but everything's good, and and you saw the picture. Mandy looks fantastic. Yeah, uh, we're, we're very excited. She, is, she is uh, the
2: one that deserves. Oh, oh, no, the hard work. To Never mind. No, I, we don't know boy thing. or girl yet. It's gonna be a surprise. Right.
1: Ride. No, no. But the other rule is like I, I've heard this from a friend that like the one the one thing you never say is like like because Tim can like inadvertently Tim can be like oh we're really thinking of like Marissa as a name, and then you'd be like oh I know a Marissa. Oh, she was awful. Like, so, and all of a sudden you're like, oh. My. Yeah. So it's like oh, I, yeah. I was like, rule, and it's yeah. you're not even thinking about it, but you're like, oh, like that actor, and all of a sudden it's like, now that's all we can think about. That name is ruined. Like, it's like it's to Like, it's like yeah. just don't say anything until you know the name and stuff like that. It is so interesting though, wild, like
0: it. you know, going down both both paths, boy or girl, and throwing mm-hmm. names out, and like, what do you want? Yeah, you, ha- you have to what clear both, right? A
2: healthy baby. Yeah. Yes. From Thank, health you, Thank you,
0: Marissa. <laughs> Thank you, Marissa. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. No, Do you know? No preference. Oh, Yeah, bullshit. we know. We know. I know. Wait, I
1: have a preference. Wait, Tim a, knows. Thanks.
2: You missed I go back yeah. and forth. Connor, pause. Tim knows if it's a boy or yeah, girl.
0: Well. You oh,
1: just, so you so just so don't. You know. really can't yeah. answer the question. Okay, right, so you exactly. That would be really you
2: know, like, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We want a boy. Oh, we're having a girl. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really hoping to switch it last minute. <laughs> yeah, so
2: Baby McMaster arriving during football season. Who knows what the Jets will be like come October. David McMaster might be walking into an amazing we you know amazing team. We might be looking at the draft for next year. Who knows by that yeah.
1: David McMaster is going to be doing mocks in October. I can promise you that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, <laughs> hopefully. Ready. I'll tell you what. I will say this, Tim. I made the comment to Marissa's last point I'll say is that when you said you were moving, and then you said you were moving out. And New- I was like, is he moving out of New York? And Marissa was like, no, just to a bigger place. I was like.
2: Mm. So it's like only one reason
1: why you moved to a bigger place. And Marissa's like, I don't know. I, if she knew, she didn't tell me. She was like, I, I don't
2: know. I knew when you knew. I wish yeah, I knew I told before you. You. you guys
1: both found out
0: at the same time. Yes.
2: Yeah, it, it was hard to keep the secret, but we're it, very excited.
1: It was like the immediate of like, oh my God, I'm so happy for Tim. And then there was also like the little fear in my stomach dropped of like, oh my God, are we going to lose our host for how long? <laughs> and how long are we losing our host for in season? Thanks to the
0: athletics, robust true. parental <laughs> leave. Um, yes. Yes, but... But I am not going to uh, abandon the can't wait. podcast. Yeah, we
2: will That's make you sure. take a little bit of time because you deserve some time. But and Connor will try and not announce the time every five seconds while I'm he's, just going to host. I'm just yeah. going to yeah. like. I'm just going to be like, all right, Connor, talk about the. I don't know, Makai not go, <laughs> and we'll see what right. how it comes out. But very exciting stuff on the can't wait podcast. So we
1: appreciate and our magic. Look at that. We've got magic spoons. We've got babies. We've got weddings.
0: Yeah, amazing. We've got it all. How and that, and, and that a new that's, logo gonna... that's happening. i will throw <laughs> that out there. To put work. the pressure. On. Oh, working. Work, we...
1: you... Last thing before we leave, because I know we got to do okay. this other thing for the thing. Uh, the golf, the golf outing that we're going to be at. I keep. Oh, I didn't know if we were moment.
0: allowed to announce that. Or not. Yeah, so, we're allowed okay, to announce yeah, that ahead.
1: now. So July 14th, would you guys can come see me the day after? I get back That'll be actually
0: be our next episode. So. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the day, Co-
2: the day after Connor gets back from her, his honeymoon, we were planning on doing a live episode together in one location.
1: Amazing. What could yes. go
2: wrong about that?
1: Yeah. So <laughs> we are gonna do our very first. We are gonna do the Can We podcast is gonna be live. JJ Justrem's JJ Jastremski, who's a good friend of mine, uh, used to work at WFAN, is hosting a golf outing at the uh, silver lake country club on staten island and we're going to be doing from i believe it's either the time's still up in the air but i believe it's going to be from 10 30 to 11 30 or you know something till 12 right around then um we're going to be doing a live can't wait broadcast from there so we're going to be having joe beningo is going to be there we're going to have him on to talk jj is going to be on there to talk i think tony richardson is going to come so we're going to have him on to talk a couple of the jets legends jets players are going to be out there uh, probably inside the bar. We're going to have a nice little background, all that stuff. We've never done an on-location, live, can't-wait broadcast before. We've also, the three of us, have never broadcasted together before, which is going to be unique and different. Um, but we are excited to go out and there. Connor's the-
2: arriving from his honeymoon like 12 hours before. So. Yeah,
1: so I'm going to be probably gonna tan, be- most likely sunburnt. Um, I'm going to be all over the place. But we're going to have a lot, obviously, to talk about the Jets. We're going to be doing a bunch of interviews. You guys will get a chance to meet, obviously, us if you want to come out and-, and meet us. I don't know if you'd want to, but like that'd be kind of cool also to meet us. You meet JJ, a couple of the other people out there. You can see Tim and I tee off and shank and slice and all that oh. stuff. So it'll be fun. So uh, we're going to have more information on it. We'll also tweet it out. And once we get like the flyer and all that stuff and get all the specifics, we'll tweet it out and take care of it. And we'll promote to let you guys know. Uh, but it's going to be the Silver Lake Country Club on Staten Island, uh, July 14th. The actual shotgun start starts at 1 p.m. I think we're going to be broadcasting from 1130 to 1230 or um 11 to 12, 30, right around there, an hour, hour and a half. Like I said, it'll be our first live broadcast. It'll be kind of cool to talk to people, meet some fans, all that stuff. So I uh, hope you guys can make it. We'll have more information when it comes out. But July 14th, uh, Silver Lake Country Club, Staten Island, and we'll let you know all the specific details once we have them.
0: All right, that'll do it. If you want to join The Athletic, you can for $3.99 a month. Just go to theathletic.com slash can't wait.